This is Asked and Answered with Eric, Brandon, and Katie. We're here today with Dr. David Eukelson, Ask 16th president. Dr. Eukelson, or Euk as he's lovingly referred to by many in the field, currently a CMPC emeritus and enjoying retirement. He's known best in the field for his time as director of sports psychology services at Penn State University. Euk, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for doing this and having me on the podcast. Let's start off with just you giving a 30-second elevator pitch bio about where you are now, and we'll get to how you got there in just a second. I'm living in Thousand Oaks, California. We grew up in Southern California, so uh, it was always my wife and I's idea to somewhere return back to Southern California. So we've got three kids that aren't really kids, but we have two grandkids. So that's the beauty of being here in Thousand Oaks. We've got a what, a 14-month-old grandson who's two miles away and a 20-month-old granddaughter who's four miles away. So retired another son up in San Francisco. but a full-time grandparent right now, huh? You know, really loving it. It's just absolutely fantastic. It just, we always thought we were pretty good parents. You know, I don't say that out of an ego, but, you know, we're invested. But with work and Penn State particularly, you know, you're away a lot. And, uh... To really be present and to be able to watch them explore the world around them, whether it's the joy of seeing birds flying near the ocean or, you know, it's just fun to be at that level. So it is fun. Awesome. So one of the things in Aspen answered, you know, one of the the many goals we have in doing this is to get a better understanding on how not only just past presidents, but really kind of key figures in the field got to where where you are. Um, and so kind of like Eric alluded to in terms of like your pathway, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your background, your pathway um, to where you are today. And then if there are any like, you know, just big moments that really stand out to you or experiences that you feel like really kind of pushed you in a certain direction or, or really led you down this path, you know, certainly feel free to highlight those, those special moments too. Well, I mean, there's a lot of paths to get to where I am now. And I go back to just being, you know, a student. And uh, at the time in the 70s, uh, you know, I graduated from UC San Diego and a degree in social psychology which was a great experience. I really loved it and learned a lot about social psychology and that's always been my orientation. Um, and I say that because our field has evolved with people studying different kinds of things or getting you know, licensed now in, in mental health. And, but in the beginning, it really kind of evolved both from NASPA and from AFERD. And for those of you who aren't familiar with AFERD, it's really the Association of Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. And we were really grounded there. So, um, you know, I got my degree there in social psychology, took a year off, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I went up to see Tara Scanlon at UCLA, and she introduced me to this organizational psychologist, uh, Dr. Barthol. And, uh, you know, it's just like kind of an interesting field, sports psychology, you know. I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, applied to Penn State, applied to uh, Florida State. We were kind of warm weathered and went to study with Bob Singer. 
And I say that is important because the Florida State experience was very important in my grounding. A lot of people internationally, students from all over the world, had come there to study with Bob and with David Parkman. And a, a very influential experience for me was uh, I was a student, uh, wanted to learn as much as I could about sports psych in an applied way at the time. Knocked on the door of the baseball coach named Woody Woodward. You know, I told him what I was doing. We went to Whataburger and had a hamburger. And he gave me an opportunity to be a, a graduate assistant uh, with his baseball team. And I knew a lot about baseball, but didn't you know, really know that much about sports psychology. And that could have been one of the most instrumental uh, experiences I had in education. Just really learning what it's like to be a college athlete. And uh, I probably got too close with them in my age. I won't go there in those stories. So maybe a wiffle ball game with a guy named Craig Patterson who hit like 420 for them. And we still stay in correspondence. And, but I really learned something about the mental side of, of sport and mental side of baseball. And that kind of motivated me. Motivated me. I also knew uh, Mike Sachs. We had a great student body there. Uh, here's storytelling with another past president. Uh, Mike was always into fitness. So we would play one-on-one -on -one basketball, full court. <laughs> That's where <laughs> Mike was helping to get his exercise in. And, you know, we competed on 5, 10, and under, you know, leagues and different sports. So there's a very good nucleus of students there. Another lady named Jody Amber, who ended up working with Miami, uh, the football team, and, and uh, Jimmy Johnson, I think, uh, let her work with them. Uh, some other people I can go on with, but it was a great experience. And again, I'll try and keep this short, but I knew that I had a goal. I wanted to have a PhD by the time I was 28. And, uh, you know, and somebody at Florida State was doing motor learning, suggested Bob Weinberg, and thought Bob would be a, a great mentor for me. I really needed a mentor there because it just, you know, I had to do a lot on my own in social psych as well. And, uh, you know, Bob was a fantastic mentor and friend. Uh, he was very attuned uh, at that time to what I kind of wanted to do. I was really studying group dynamics at the time and, and a lot of things on self-efficacy and the lab was great. But Bob and I understood kind of like when to be a graduate student, to do the graduate student stuff, and then when to be kind of close friends, which we always have been. So that was a very important experience for me. Um, then I, my first job, again, you asked the path, but all these paths kind of lead to Penn State. Um, I was looking for a job and there was nothing coming up until late August when there was somebody who left the University of Houston to go to Illinois to study motor learning and teach. So Houston was looking for somebody to teach a graduate class, teach exercise physiology, which was the last class I ever took <laughs> as a doctoral student, and uh, a motor learning class and, and a psychology of coaching class. And uh, that was a fantastic opportunity. It was a one-year position. I thought it would go into longer, uh, but I was working also with a football team, a uh, great football coach, uh, Yeoman. Bragg Stockton, who was a baseball coach, 
Uh, and Tom Telez, who is a great coach at, in track and field, Carl Lewis's coach and Carol Lewis. And, you know, so it just like was a wonderful experience to be able to teach and to be able to work in an athletic department, you know, volunteering. But I was embedded within that. And uh, then it was a one year position and Dale Pease came in and became the chair. <laughs> so my position kind of evaporated, although I was consulting with him and did some work in a sports medicine center in Houston as well with an orthopod from Rice. So all those experiences kind of led to theory to practice. I was always into research, always into science practice mentalities. And when the job came up at uh, Penn State, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing then. And... Um, Dorothy Harris reached out and she said, you know, we're going to have a position open here. There's a couple people who are applying. And, um, you know, I, I had a walk. Ken Revis has always been one of my closest friends and, you know, my roomie at conferences. And, and I went out to Redondo Beach and walked in the garden with Ken. And we just kind of talked about, you know, interviewing that job and, you know, that was right when I think his gaining entry article came out and I was on that same page, but I didn't have that kind of experience. And and I went in and, and uh, I was prepared. I talked coach's language. Uh, I never thought I was going to get the job and I thought it was somebody else's job. And uh, I didn't hear from them for like a couple months. And I thought, well, you know, there you go. And sure enough, I get a phone call back. And, um, you know, they said, we'd like to offer you this position. And I'm watching the TV and my wife, Southern California girl, it was snowing. Notre Dame was playing Penn State in football. The <laughs> students didn't have shirts on. I said, hey, look, this is where I'm going, you know, for <laughs> final stuff. You know, we'd like to bring you back. And, and she goes, What? And, uh, I mean, there's other stories with that, running into Coach Paterno, who I was his 130 appointment, and I thought I could save them money in terms of, uh, you know, flight out there, take the red eyes and boots and, you know, jeans, and here we are in the airport in Pittsburgh, and I look over and I go, hmm, I look like a schlump, but uh, I'm your 130 appointment, I better go up to him now and introduce myself, and, uh, and I told you to keep me on track. And, uh, you know, sure enough, uh, it was snowing light flurries on the tarmac in Pittsburgh. And I introduced myself and Marla, and she's freaking out. It was like a spruce goose kind of plane. And, ah, let me tell you, these planes are safer than anything in the world. I fly them all the time. You know, he's being a, a psychologist for her, you know. And meanwhile, we're on the plane, and her th your hand isn't on my thighs like this. You can't see me, but... It was just a funny story. But all those things led to, I interviewed well, and I taught coaches language, and I had an idea what I'd like to do, you know, at the time, and it was one person for 29 teams that turned into 31 teams, and, you know, that got to be a lot. But I always had the philosophy, you know, I would not just look at football. I would look at every sport as important, every person as important. I was there to serve 800 student athletes and teams and coaches, 31, 29 teams at the time. 
And, uh, you know, it was interesting just building a base for a couple of years and listening and really trying to talk with coaches, find out what their needs were and do the best job I could. So I think my experiences early on really helped me with kind of people skills and going slow. That's what Ken kept saying, go slow, you know, go slower. And, you know, but uh, it turned out to be a pretty long-standing relationship I had with Penn State that I really, looking back today, you know, I, I don't miss how, you know, busy and, you know, some politics in terms of athletics today, not at Penn State, but just where athletics are today. Uh, I, I'm glad that I'm really not in that environment right now, but I really miss those interactions and uh, with athletes and coaches and the surprises. You Do you feel like the um, walking into that job, they had a pretty good idea of what you did and what you could do? Or do you feel like you had to build a lot of that as you walked in to buy that trust and that rapport? Spent a lot of times with coaches, you know, and even there under the microscope. There are a couple coaches who were very supportive of the position. You know, but even Joe was kind of an old school coach and don't teach a dog new tricks, his assistants would say. And, you know, one of the first things he had me do out in the field, you know, oh, Dave, it's so good to have you. You see this guy over here? He's got an alcohol problem. I want you to fix it. And I'm going, hmm, right now I'm into boundaries. <laughs> you know, I'm not a licensed psychologist or alcohol specialist and you know, Joe, I'd be more than happy to talk with him about certain things, but that's not what my expertise is in. So it, they understood. They all understood what it was that I did. And, you know, and you really look at it, that was one of the first full-time positions in the country that he had a full-time sports psychology specialist uh, working for them. And it really evolved because, you know, even today, you know, I'm not sure I can get a job. You know, if I was to be able to work in a college environment, everybody is a mental health specialist and uh, and licensed. And, you know, that's another area. But um, I, we had a collaborative team. I, you know, part of our team, I, I was close to the director of the counseling center and their psychologist. Uh, worked with our athletic directors. I worked with our sports medicine physicians. Uh, we had a sport nutritionist, and uh, all together we would brainstorm and get people who were in need of mental health counseling the service that they needed. So everything was up front, um, you know, and, and I always looked at it as a continuum of services that I could provide, whether it be performance enhancement or stress management, helping with recruiting and what it's like a, a freshman coming in their freshman year. Eyes are wide open, and what does commitment mean? What does focus mean? What does time for yourself? International athletes, transitions they made, injured athletes. We always had the right people on the athletic under the athletic umbrella to be able to help and serve. I was more the liaison for the student athlete and liaison with the coaching staff to be able to, you know, help make sure their needs were being taken care of. Do you please everybody? I don't think that's the goal. The idea is standing up for yourself, your ethics, your uh, competencies, and way you feel you can serve them the best. And I really loved it. You know, it's just I missed it. I yeah. miss it. Yeah, Does I that love help? the 
I, I love the 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 story that you bring through, right? The the people that you interacted with, Dr. Weinberg, Michael Sachs, Tara Scanlon. Like it's so interesting to see how all of the histories that each individual brings in interacts and moves forward. And so it sounds like you were kind of at that front edge. You mentioned, you know, Aford and Nasby. Um, so we want to get a kind of a, a snapshot of the field prior to you stepping into presidential service. And it sounds like you have a pretty long history of that. How would you describe well, the field of sport and exercise psychology and ASP prior to you running for president? Again, there is a stepping stone there. Where did you say I was the 16th president? 16th is what we, we figured out, I think. Well, thank you. <laughs> so hopefully you're right. <laughs> I know I wasn't second or third or fourth, it's 16th. Um, again, they're just foundational skills that are within this. Um, you know, I thought NASPA was always important. We're trained as researchers. And that was really how ASP started too. Theory to practice, applied practice, but it was always scientific and theoretically based. I think John when his idea to break away and form triple A, <laughs> ASP, um, you know, it, there was a, a longing for people to want to do more practical interventions that were still scientifically based. But again, I remember, you know, after studying with Bob, I was very serious about going to Canada and working with Bert Caron and Neil and uh, Larry Brawley, and they were doing the best stuff really in group cohesion. I developed my cohesion instrument for, you know, basketball and other things. But I remember being at a Silomar at that conference at NASPA. And Bert Caron was the funniest guy. All those Canadians are just so funny. And, uh, you know, but he was such a great scientist as well. And uh, I just remember... All the different things that were going on there and in Aford at the time. I was also president of NASPY for a year. And, you know, watching actually Ken bring one of his gymnastic coaches to Anaheim and giving a talk. Because Ken was very good at bringing coaches into conferences and Bob Rotella and Keith Henschen and um, all those situations, I think, influenced me and what I thought programming that needed to go on with ASP and even within uh, areas that I ran on as a president. Um, I really believed in inclusion. I, I did a lot of work before president with the organizational outreach and really kind of tried to set a tone since I was working in a college environment with the NCAA and get them on board about things we were doing. And uh, Craig Risberg also did that afterwards. And uh, when he was at Tennessee and, and, you know, we really try to create relationships and create inclusion. And there's one other organization I go back to as well, is that the USOC, in the beginning, um, they had like three prongs. And, you know, part of it was education, part of it was research, and part of it was professional practice. But we had, you know, Bruce Ogilvie was involved and Shane Murphy was in charge before Sean of the USOC and and Dorothy Harris and Rich Gordon was involved and there are different people who would work you know with international organizations 
So the USOC model became a real important model, I think, for ASP because you had professionals, but if we were working in social psych or PE background, there was a place for us to do education and do coaching education and do research. And, you know, and, and it, it was very important. And I think that's getting lost today in terms of what are the foundational roots and how people were being educated at the time. We didn't have many programs in psychology departments for many years when I was president and it started to evolve into the certification and licensing. But in the beginning, most people were trained in exercise and sports science or in social psych. And the beginning of ASP too, um, you know, there was very great research in health psychology. And uh, Bonnie Berger, I mean, she still stands up for so many different ways that health psychology is important that just kind of got faded out when then asked. And the same thing with um, other kinds of expertise in social psychology, because we had keynotes coming from social psychology. We had keynotes coming from health psychology. We had keynotes coming from performance you know, and, and but they're all research-based. And I always felt like one of the strong points of ASP, particularly in the formative years, was that the meetings themselves were very research-oriented but applied. We had Locke come and talk about goals. We had, you know, people-related Bandura. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of really good foundations there that I think we lose in just you know, where we decide keynotes should be all about. But again, bringing it back, it's really important that the foundation of what preceded us, there was, you know, really good foundations in social psychology, health psychology, performance enhancement, and um, the, the meetings were like that. You know, you wanted to hear what the research was and what are the new ways of applying it. So that's what kind of preceded at least my presidency, if we then go into the presidency. Um, Before you go into that, you what okay. prompted you to, to run for president? I think just the recognition of people who came before me, although I didn't know them all, but, you know, I was a student at the time and then a young professional. So, you know, I always admired what John did. Our business meetings were unbelievable the first couple years. Jacqueline Island was just, you know, you had <laughs> cantankerous arguments, but it was wonderful, you know, because you're really talking about the most important things and moving a foundation. Um, you know, you talked about Bert and, you know, he played such an important role, you know, as a psychiatrist coming in after for a while. But we had Ron Smith, who was a leading expert, Dan Kirschenbaum who was a leading expert in, you know, behavior modification, weight control and goals and golf. And, and I always admired them. I always admired Jean Williams and what she had done and uh, Tara Scanlon and, and Robin. And, you know, all these people came before me. They felt it was always important enough to advance the field. And, and what we would always have to do as president-elect, president, and past president, you know, there was a period of time, you know, we didn't have a business office. You know, we didn't have a business manager. We did have an office, but it was kind of, 
we were responsible for everything. <laughs> we had policy manuals that had to be updated. I didn't know what the heck the policy manual was when I first got elected. Here, Dave, you have this. Make the corrections. And really, you know, and certification and all these different things. What was going on here? Um, so I was inspired by the people who came before me. And I feel as an applied practitioner, I was very student oriented, which motivated me to run is that I always was concerned, not in a bad way, but about the growth of our field lies in, in students. And I think I was an advocate for the students. I always was communicating with them and I made their platforms really part of the agendas of what we should be doing and listening. Uh, so I was just kind of, I thought I could use maybe my platform to advance other applied principles and student principles and still keep some of the roots to, uh, you know, where ASP evolved from. So I was inspired and I thought maybe this would be a time uh, to gain visibility, not for myself. Um, to me, one of the best presidents is Graham Spanier at, at, at Penn State. Uh, there's a lot of things out there about, you know, the Sandusky situation, which I won't go into here, but I think Graham Spanier was a fantastic president. Still, you know, I hold him in the highest regards. He encouraged me. He said, Dave, this would be great for the university. You know, I was worried about being away and I was worried about what the job responsibilities would be within ASP. No, you should do this because this brings recognition to Penn State. And after I heard that, I said, okay. I'll do what I need to do, but still make sure my responsibilities are taken care of. So all that had kind of inspired me. Does that answer it? Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. It actually bridges us into like the next piece too, I think very well, because you kind of touched upon this. So, you know, you're elected and you're giving us a little bit of insight in terms of, um, you know, being student, like, focused and an advocate in that particular, you know, arena. Um, would you add anything else to maybe what you were hoping to accomplish, you know, during your time as president? And are there any accomplishments that maybe just for whatever particular reason stand out to you um, from what you were able to accomplish in a relatively short period of time? It's, it's hard to do that in a year. Um, well, you know, you know, I don't so. give myself the credit. It's always a team approach. And I, I don't say that like a coach would, but, you know, our executive boards were spectacular. And this is something I think a lot of people don't understand. Maybe they will after the podcast, not mine, but others. But we mentored each other. You know, I come in and Joan Duda was there before me and Andy Myers, who's another psychologist, was there before. And and uh, the executive board, Trent was on the uh, executive board and. There's just other people, and I was getting mentored about what to be able to do and, and how to satisfy people's needs and political you know, landmines you might fall into. So that was really an important part of it, is that even though it was a little overwhelming, and we had to find our own conference sites. We didn't have a business group to do it. And, uh, you know, I remember that afterwards, you know, going into Minnesota, I thought we we're going to have a conference in Austin. I thought that's what people wanted. 
you know, and I go to Minnesota and they wooed me and they showed me the conference. So here I'm like a conference planner. I, oh, you need these kind of rooms, you need this for the you know banquet, you know, what makes good banquets? Well, you know, some of the past banquets were really good, you know, but okay, how can we satisfy what the needs are? You know, but we should have no right to go into a, a city and, you know, go to these hotels and, oh, this would be good for us. So there were just a lot of little things that I learned from other executive board members that just weren't past presidents. You got kind of moved along, and this is how you'll put your stamp on it. And uh, then we had the business organization and um, Kent and... You know, they had their own growth orientations, too, but they took over really important stuff that most people who were in academia, academia couldn't do because they didn't have the time to be able to do. Sure. All right. So other things? Go back to the question. No, it was uh, really, uh, I think you, you kind of touched upon it, um, you know, in terms of just the accomplishments, you know, what your, what your vision was, what you're hoping to, to do as president and... Um, and just like you said, some of the things that kind of stand out, it sounds like the mentorship piece, which, you know, maybe doesn't get, um, at least in public domains discussed, you know, in the same capacity or in the same way that you've just kindly, you know, described and shared with us as well. I think that's, that's such a cool and wonderful and overlooked aspect of, you know, when we think about accomplishments, that's a big piece. I still have my policy manual from 2001 to 2003. <laughs> He's Here, waving Dave. it at us right now. He's waving it at <laughs> us. He's proving it. <laughs> I'm not looking at it, but, you know, it just, uh, you know, how to get updated. I think it was in Bowling Green where it lies right now. But there were other platforms, I think, that are important. Um, it, it wasn't just running on students, you know, you know needs, because I did spend a lot of time and wanted to make sure their their needs. I mean, we started master certification and started to look into that. Um, I really had an international flavor because I never thought ASP was just, I thought ASP was like a North American society. I don't believe that. You know, it's an international society. And at the time we had people coming from Korea and Sweden and there was a lot of good things, but they weren't getting recognized in terms of certification or, you know, I had talks with Ian Maynard and, uh, you know, Bob started that because Bob was good friends with him, Bob Weinberg. And, uh, you know, about how can we make ASP certification fit within BASES or the Canadian sports site group? And because I always looked up to the Canadian sports site group as an applied practitioner, Cal Botterill and Terry Orlick and Kim Amaralt now and, you know, just so many wonderful people, Gordon Bloom and... Uh, you know, the Shineke, you know, when he was actually very instrumental in facilitating international networking, still does. So I always believe we we're an international society. We we're in a North American society. We were, and that's where the conferences were. But how do you take care of what the needs are of, you know, international scholars? How can we get some grant money for a distinguished international dissertation? Um, there were just a lot of things that I looked at it as an umbrella that had clinical psychologists, that had social psychologists, that had health psychologists, they had students wanting to practice, you know, with, you know, just one class or, you know, but 
how do we make ASP a place where everybody is inclusive and we show respect for one another? And I don't think there was like, you know, blatant disrespect, but there were territorial disrespect. And I ran into that a lot in terms of trying to work with the NCAA and let them know kind of the model we had at Penn State could easily be done at many other schools. But I ran into roadblocks, even within members of ASP, who didn't like that. And, you know, you're either a licensed psychologist or not. And we'll make sure that this group has the relationship politically with the NCAA. And I don't think they, I stood up in business meetings, you know, continuing to try and lay the claim, not what we're doing at Penn State, but how you can involve so many other people within sports science to be able to facilitate the needs of student athletes and coaches. So I kind of ran on those kind of platforms. How can we make what we do better and be inclusive as opposed to exclusionary? Absolutely. So you, we're going to take a little break from where we were at before. And so this is what we call our story break. And so we want you to tell us a story yeah. from your time in the field Anything goes, and really what we're aiming for is just a story that brings a smile to your face or you think would be helpful for our, our, our listeners to know. And even though we don't award points, you do get bonus points here if you involve other ASP members in, the, in your story as you go through. <laughs> I had to kind of screen through some of these things you gave the question ahead of time. Uh, because there are certain things I'm just not going there. Yeah. But... I do remember Jackal Island. Jackal Island was a great conference. You know, they were in southern Georgia and, you know, it just things were being shaped. And but I remember a time that it was on the beach and I went body surfing with Terry Orlick and John Salmelia. And we're out there and all of a sudden there's like this school of grunions, you know, and, and we're body surfing into taking a wave and going, oh. God, what is this? We're busting up. You know, it just the kind of the social camaraderie. Actually, a lot of it is social camaraderie. I remember Seattle. Seattle was a great conference, and they had a salmon bake, and and uh, it, it was just there were so many fun things with Penny McCullough and and uh, you know others that it just. I think that's what I always respected about ASP is that it was user-friendly for people who weren't that familiar. They'd read these names of these people, but you can go right up to them, and they were so gracious and let their hair down. But the social activities were always a lot of fun where certain stories are. There was another story with uh, Cal State Fullerton. Ken and I, I mean, we always spent a lot of time. We wanted to spend time with students and, uh, you know, just getting into some of their social... <laughs> Cal State Fullerton. Tracy had told us about where the students were, but Ken and I were late doing other things. So we get to the restaurant, and the restaurant is locked, but everybody was inside. <laughs> so here's Ken and I trying to get attention. We go to the window, we're knocking on the windows, and you know, and then we got in, and it just, it just, those are special moments where it's nothing we had to say. As much as it is, we just wanted to be with the students and, you know, be part of it. So those are memories that really kind of stand sure. out. Oh, thank I, you for I, sharing. I do remember, you know, Bob probably won't like this, but Bob had to give his <laughs> presidential address 
and he had an eye problem. So <laughs> he gave us, and Dan Gould was his roommate all the time. So Dan and I both would kind of like needle him a little bit. So there he was giving his presidential address with a, a eye patch. It looked like Moisha <laughs> Diane is really <laughs> prime minister. So, uh, you know, that always kind of stood out. Um, yeah, those were fun times right there. Oh, I love hearing those stories because I think about like, obviously the presidential piece may not be in any of me or my colleagues' futures, but just like thinking about the memories we've made at early ask conferences we go to. I love thinking about that was just you and your colleagues doing the same thing. I think that's such a cool thing to transport myself into that same type of uh, just making memories and being with those people that really are your closest colleagues and friends. It's such a cool idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and there were other parts of that, too, as well. Like e even my presidential address, uh, we're in uh, Florida and that was 911. And it was kind of somber, you know, because we weren't even sure we we're going to have a conference where people are going to be able to come. And uh, we were not close to cutting it off, but, you know, we thought it was really important to move forward. And I think we had something like 600 attendees, which doesn't sound like a lot now. But at the time, that was out of a thousand people. And there was a very, it made my presidential address. I'm not sure what it is I had to say that had any significance other than inclusion and, you know, and, and some other things or were key points I wanted to get across. But just starting the conference by thanking everybody for being there. And even going back, I remember the world, not a World Series, like when they came back to playing sport, Mike Piazza hit this home run and, and it gave people permission to cheer again after what had happened in, in New York. Um, that was like the beginning and it was, it was a hard thing just to get up there and, and you know, be poignant and significant and, and professional. Hmm. So that's also part of the presidential you know, stuff that you won't see in notes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing, you. So, you know, Eric was talking about, like, how some of what you're sharing in terms of your memories are some of the same kinds of things that, you know, the current generation of uh, professionals or even future um, sports psych professionals are, are experiencing in terms of those shared, like, moments, the memories that if the podcast continues to, you know, for however long it's in existence, you know, we keep asking about these stories. There'll be, you know, our own stories we get to share about some of those special moments and memories that, you know, not everyone is privy to. And so, like, you know, it's cool to hear, like, some of those things haven't changed. And then we also know that the field ha itself has evolved and a lot has changed there. Uh, and we're curious if maybe you can share with us, you know, the ways in which, from your perspective, you feel like the, the field has evolved and, and really without, without you know, judgment in terms of good or bad. Um, you know, there's, we, we, like we mentioned before, you know, this, it's uh, so important to be able to be able to try to capture, you know, what was this experience like for you during your time as president? And then as a, um, maybe more objective, uh, you know, professional in the field, stepping back from the presidency now. How has the well, field evolved? Actually, within the presidential address, one of my key themes was that book, Who Moved My Cheese? Did you ever read that? I'm from, I, I, I have not read it. Oh, boy. No, yeah. I, I've been uh -oh. totally, I, 
I, I remember that. I I'm do. not going to bring up yeah. Frank Sinatra or uh, <laughs> you know Crosby, Stills, and Nash, maybe, but <laughs> the whole idea was, you know, we need to change. We we need a five year plan and changes all around us, and we need to be proactive. Otherwise, things are going to go past us. So the whole idea, master certification and. Uh, there are other things that I thought were really important at that particular time that we needed different networking. I mean, it was the first year I think we actually went to division heads as opposed to the old model that were the basis for the keynotes and basis for, you know, our, our conference planning. But the scientific stuff and the, you know, the different division heads then had different responsibilities. That was a pretty big change that just didn't happen overnight. It was something that had to evolve in the responsibilities. And, um, you know, I even think about, you know, getting an extra, the diversity committee. And John Amici, who was a basketball player at Penn State, I was very close with, with John, and he came to the conference. And if you remember, you're shaking your head. People don't see oh, yes. that. But I do, I do John's remember. always got this magnetism that not only did he stand up for things that are right, but he was instrumental in mobilizing the group to take action with the executive board to get representation. And it happened almost overnight. You know, I saw him kind of like there with the students and talking and hear certain things. And that was a big change right there for the better because there's so many other groups you need to listen to don't talk to them and tell them find out what the needs are and how can we increase representation and then not only representation really satisfy what the needs are um, so the evolution of change in 2001 2003 here we are in 2022 that's like 20 years almost and you know how has our organization evolved well, certification was important in the beginning, but look where certification is now. And you have the testing and, and uh, it's the proficiencies and the competencies. Uh, we're building in a master's certification that I always thought was important. You didn't need to have a PhD. There are some very good master's people who were practicing, but you know, they just needed validation and we needed to move in that particular direction. The whole idea of science and technology and social media. Um, I mean, today is not the best day to talk about social media with everything going on in Twitter today, for whatever <laughs> stamp this is on the podcast. But, you know, they're just, we really moved into social media as a platform to be able to convey, convey you know, growth, convey things that are happening right now in athletics and, and performance situations. So I think all that stuff of having a nucleus of a group of people to brainstorm, initiate, mobilize, inspire, I think change is fantastic. Sure, there are certain things that maybe evolve that you can sit back and question now, but... You know, who gets left out? And uh, I think there are a lot of people who are getting left out or highly skilled that were trained in exercise and sports science. And not that there is not a place for them, but 
you go back in the idea of health psychology, look at everything that's going on in concussions today. That's a health psychology thing. Look at the injuries and how people come back from injuries or the platform of, you know, artificial grass or turf and, you know, let alone just, you know, obesity and exercise. And we lost a lot of people that could be making tremendous contributions within the umbrella of ASP. Um, so they're good and bad. So I'm not going to get into like, you know, very specific, but with change comes evolution. But sometimes like goal setting, you know, we're just not moving forward. Sometimes you kind of reflect like in the course of a season, what's working, what's not, how do you adjust, how do you kind of redirect and how do you get the momentum going? Maybe it's important to also revisit under the umbrella can we bring back certain, you know, areas of specialization that might be helpful to the collaborative approach? Social psychology is the same thing. It's close to my heart. It's close to a lot of the past presidents, maybe the first 10, 12 years that that's kind of where their background was. But there's a lot of things in social psychology that went beyond Smith and Small's research, which was perhaps some of the best longitudinal research, you know, right. done. But there's so many other things that we could be addressing there. And I'm into performance and I'm into performance, you know, psychology and I'm into all the aspects. But is it important maybe to revisit some of the older stuff and how could that fit in now? That's part mm -hmm. of goal valuations. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. I tried not to prepare too much for this, and I really didn't. I guess I could have. But those are just things that come to mind that uh, sure. things have evolved in a very positive way. Look at the, how many people in our organization. Look at how many internationals we have now. I, I'll share another story, if I can, that's probably relevant to that and moving oh. forward. Um, Rob Shineke and I had always gotten interested. We actually did a couple little studies on, on acculturation and international student-athletes, international cultural transitions. And there was an opportunity. Um, I got invited to go to India and give a keynote presentation in India. And I tried working through the executive board, you know, you know and working out Rob was very, I, th I don't know if he was a president at the time, but he was very supportive. And as goodwill and neighbors, how this could kind of like play out. And I really thought we needed to be out more other than just the international ISSP stuff in, in bridging gaps and, and just being there and giving presentations. And that was a wonderful experience for both my wife and I, I brought Marla on the trip and they treated her like a queen. You know, I was just there to talk and, you know, they did everything for her and these flowers and all these wonderful things. But it was a wonderful experience because I think there are probably 200 students and professionals there. And, uh, and, and then a professor from uh, another university comes up to me afterwards and says, you know, the presentation you just gave. I want you to come to my university in Punjab and give that tomorrow. Oh, wow. 
my wife and I have plans. She wants to go. <laughs> no, we'll get you the train ticket. And we want you to come. We'll show her a pan job and, you know, all these different things. There are 200, you know, professors and students at that place. It was one of the best experiences possible. People then from Singapore and, and the goodwill. In fact, Terry Orlick had given a talk a couple years earlier. So they had like a performance excellence kind of orientation. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to keep building that. And I didn't even know that beforehand. But I came back to the executive board and I said, there was such an important thing, not for me, but for our organization, you know, being represented and bringing together groups that were not only in the South Pacific and Singapore and India, uh, there are people from Australia. So it was just, it's storytelling. You can cut and edit this way you need. <laughs> but I always thought those kinds of aspects of, of, of reaching out and making the global aspect of what we do pertinent to others. Not by talking down or telling them this is the American way, but by listening to what their needs and concerns are and understanding the culture. And then how can we kind of like help you, you know, help the field? And I think that was taken care of. Yeah. I love that that idea, you. So you're kind of even pushing our, our next question. So you you talked a little bit about revisiting our past, maybe possibly opening up of that umbrella, bridging some of those places that maybe don't have the experiences of sports psychology. What do you where do you think ASP and the field are going in the next five, 10, 20 years? Where do you think the the field of sports psychology is moving towards? I think technology has a lot to do with this. I mean, look how we're kind of shaping this. And you got this side, you got this side. Hey, you know, it's, I think, technology, but doing it in the right way. How can we use technology to advance uh, education? Because there's so many different things to be able to do. People are in a right now kind of society. But how can we kind of advance the field? I, I always thought this in the 70s and 80s. We were very, very good in research and interventions. But I'm not sure the public really knew it. We didn't do a good job of delivering it. I think Dan Gould was instrumental in kind of pointing that out. And so looking to 20 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, how can we use technology to interface with professional sport organizations, uh, with kind of satellite practitioners that you know, are certified or licensed, and where do we find these right people? Uh, how can we move into high schools and really help high school students and parents? And uh, I, I see technology really helping there. Um, I, I do like the idea of, of kind of going back to other conferences and other organizations and how can we partner with them in what they feel is, is important. I think we've done a very good job with that. Ken's has done a great job with bringing in the professional sport culture and, 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 and really kind of being attuned to the needs and, and bringing in others who've worked in professional sport. I mean, look at what's going on in baseball. I mean, there are so many organizations now that have you know, somebody within mental performance and mental health working all the way through organizations. And I give Charlie a heck of a lot of uh, credit for that in terms of what he's done with the Cleveland Indians and the whole 
spectrum of services that reach out to Latin America and, uh, and all the way through terminology. I, I give credit to Harvey Dorfman and Ken, but that's a good model of uh, an organizations that were hard to get your foot in the door, but once it happened, they see because people were doing a good job and it wasn't just about performance, it was about personal development or uh, acculturation and organizations speaking the same language, but all the sports psychologists that I know are working in the organizations, they stay in the background, which is wonderful. So, I mean, how do we outreach to professional sport? How do we outreach to collegiate sport? There are probably other issues that come up. Um, I guess I'll talk to one dark side to me, being in, in college athletics for a long time. I, I never understood this pay athletes. You know, I get it in terms of when they were getting nothing in a bagel and it was not kind of like diversity for everybody. But you start paying 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds huge amounts of money, and you're starting to see it. You've got Power 5 conferences going down to Power 2 conferences. And that means they have the haves and have-nots. And now all of a sudden you're recruiting and you're offering these incentives. I mean, way back when, you couldn't really recruit student-athletes using alumni or basis for jobs. So it, to me, it's kind of like a sad state of affairs that maybe we need to take more sociological perspective, like a Harry Edwards kind of thing at a San Jose State and standing up for things. And, you know, what are the detriments of some of the directions that we're going? Not to provide opportunities for all, but, you know, what kind of pressure are we putting on the kids? What kind of things within group cohesion of, you know, I understand portals, but without any discipline in the NCAA, it doesn't seem to be doing enough about governing this stuff. It gets out of control where now all of a sudden I'm in one year, then I'm going somewhere else. There's no uh, consistency, continuity, and they're getting paid. I don't understand that. And maybe I'm old school, but maybe there's also something that opens up the dark side of sport that we're beginning to see. So, you know, I think of state universities here in California. You, know, you can't keep up with what some of these things are and the amount of money that's provided by TV contracts and, you know, where I came from, the Big Ten, which is a wonderful, you know, Big Ten network is fantastic. But, you know, nobody's really talking enough about travel and bringing students from UCLA on a track team out to Rutgers and they're going to be out of school for a long period of time. And they're supposed to study for tests. Football can do that. They get chartered planes. And you can do all these different things. They're back the next day. But these large teams or some of the you know, smaller teams too. How do you go cross country and really look at student athlete development? I think we're getting away from that. It's almost professional development. Professional model. So, you know, I didn't think I'd go there. That's why I wanted to kind of avoid, <laughs> but I did go there. It just, you know, the advent of technology and the advent of information dissemination. Sometimes I think we need to stand up for the things that are really right and, and hold people accountable. That's all. That's what we try doing in sport teams. That's what resilience is. You, you know, you control them, but you hold people accountable for actions. So, yeah. Thanks, Yuke. 
Did that answer that, or did Absolutely. I go on another soapbox? <laughs> I love the answer. I loved it. Maybe I should have written notes here for what I wanted to say. <laughs> this is what you get. This off the cuff. That's the best kind. Well, go ahead. So hopefully you can have a little bit of fun with this question too. You've already. I haven't had fun already. Well, like, <laughs> yeah. So you just have to keep it going obviously. Um, so what advice would you have for students and new professionals entering into the field? It sounds like you're very student oriented already. So I'm excited to hear your perspectives about, um, yeah, students and new professionals coming in. I think sometimes there's instant gratification, you know, like online learning and things like that. I'll take these classes and I'm ready to prepare to be able to get out there and take my certification test. And I, I say go slow. Ask a lot of questions. Get as much experience as you can, whatever that experience is. Take the knowledge that you gain. And then, okay, where could I maybe apply that? Maybe there's a high school musical group, that uh, a theater group or something, that maybe I can get involved and talk about what I've learned in performance psychology and apply it, but also understand that there's stress involved in 15, 16, 17. And those experiences are just as good as any what we might look at as a high visibility looking with a university or professional athletic team. And it's not always that sweet, by the way, too. You know, it just, uh, but I, that is one of the things. Go slow, ask questions, get involved with things that you can volunteer time, have a group of mentors. That's a real important thing right there. You know, even through my own development, we had peer support groups that we can bounce ideas off of. And uh, I even remember when Ken came up with the R's and there was a group of us. We were kind of like, okay, let's tear this apart. Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, we're, you know, but it was actually kind of fun. And there were other people like that. And we'd get together and we'd share failure stories as well as maybe some success. So I think for students, having kind of their own kind of peer network that they can kind of open up to and ask questions and then maybe have other professionals in the field that you meet and you, can I give you a call? You know, you brought up something here at a conference, we talk, that they can kind of talk to as well and continue to ask questions, develop, you know, like an ongoing kind of like mentoring kind of thing. So peer mentoring, maybe other kind of more experienced professionals in the field and just get out there and, and, and get involved because there's a lot of ways that we can be involved. Does that answer, Kay? Yes, thank you so much. What do you think we can do? What do I think? Yeah. Hmm. Put me on the spot. I honestly, I think, so I just went to ask for the first time was it last two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that really stood out to me was exactly what you said in terms of the social component and everybody being so willing to talk and to help and to connect. And They're so approachable. I think, from, yeah, and from a student perspective, um, for me, I'll be I'll hopefully be going into a PhD program, but just from like being where I'm at right now in my career, having the willingness to talk to people and just to put myself out there is a really good reminder, but also like having those mentors and people that are willing to have the conversations in general. So in a network. I think my advice would be connected to what you said already. Good. Well, thank you. You did a great job with that. Thanks. 
And she she didn't have notes either, so you're fine. You're fine, Duke. She didn't prepare for that, so we're, I think we're in, we're in good shape. Um, the beauty of uh, spontaneity. <laughs> you know, when you reflect on the work that you've done, not just as president, but just in terms of your career and your involvement in the field, what do you hope your impact either has been, is, will be, all of the above? Uh, any combination of those that I cared the people I came in contact with I was authentic and genuine I mean that's what you get um that I took what I do seriously but not who I am seriously um the impact I'm not sure people really understand what the depth of the impact is in being an advocate for certain things and fighting the fight um it's not about recognition. It's a matter of what, in my case as a president, it's a three-year term. You're involved with committees. What were some things that attempted to be done? Organizational outreach and newsletters and how can you make it more user-friendly? How can you disseminate in terms? I, I don't know. But I hope that people thought, you know, he cared. And that relationships are a part of my life the people that are close to me, you know, it's the most important thing. I've been married 48 years, you know, and she's my soul buddy and, you know, I've been along the journey, you know, and, and uh, that's important, you know, because even there, that's another thing we don't talk enough about is partners as professionals. And, and this isn't meant to be a judgment. Because people get divorced for a lot of different reasons. I'm not trying to get up on a soapbox here. But I think along the journey, you do it with other people who are close to you. And, you know, I was very fortunate. I gave a lot of time at Penn State, not because I had to, because I wanted to. But I had a very understanding partner. And, uh, you know, we've done this together. And I took early retirement, you know, she said, we're going back to Southern California. I said, okay, <laughs> let's do it, you know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but, you know, let's go do it. And, you know, I, th I think that is another message just in, in brainstorming is that we, we should never take for granted the people that are in your lives that are really important and that we're paying attention to what their needs are. So I guess it's the same thing for my takeaway for ASP is that, I love ASP, and you know, not everybody loves ASP, but uh, I love the organization. I got involved because I wanted to. I thought it was a way to, to you know, get more people involved and in organizational outreach to so many different groups. We're constantly in the process of educating people. We're not at the place of, well, we've won five national champions. Well, that's wonderful, but... You know, it just, if you happen to be lucky enough to work with a team like that, you're staying in the background and are there to help, you know, because there's gratitude involved in whatever the journey is. So I hope that, I don't know what people are going to think of me as a president. They probably think I'm in the background anyways, which is okay. But those were three years that I learned a lot about organizations. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of issues we had to deal with too. And, did we do deal with them the right way? I don't know. We dealt with them as a, uh, a brain trust to try and come up with the right solutions. And we always try to look in advancing the field, what's in the best interest. And actually, it's one of the questions you asked. 
five years from now, 10 years from now, what is the direction we're going? I think there's always foundational blocks, then you have to adapt and adjust based on what happens in seven years, you know? What is the organization gonna look like? What's the practice gonna look like? What does certification look like? Whatever and thank you for grandparenting. You bet. Well, just the, the reminder and kind of bringing us back to, you know, the, the others that travel down the path or go on this journey with us are oftentimes pivotal, uh, you know, people that, that support us to, to get to where, where we're at in some capacity. So I appreciate you bringing it back to that, too, because I think that's something that um, re- really will resonate with the. Uh, Hopefully, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of, of people that are going to be listening. Uh, but even though have to like it, right? Like the <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> I do have to I say, one you, other thing. the the trade off of uh, your wife had to go to Pennsylvania winners, and you got California winners. I think you made the right choice there. You you drug her. That's a good deal. Yeah. And then she, she never thought- back to sunny California. That seems pretty nice. Yeah, although today is the first day we're having any rain in a, in a year, you know, my lawn is all brown. But, you know, there are just so many other things along those lines that uh, we just have to appreciate and appreciate what it is that we have and the, the little things that really are important. Mm-hmm. So, Yuke, our last question for you is what haven't we asked about that you think is important to share, either about the field, ASP, or anything else that you'd like to, to share? Have dialogue, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions, but do it in a respectful way. I think that's really important. Sometimes, uh, you know, my colleagues can have a tendency that this is the way to go about it. This is the only way to go about it. And I'm not sure. I think there's always a collaborative approach to involve other people. So I think that's always important to ask good questions and don't be afraid to ask questions. I think Kay, when she described you know, how approachable people are. That's one of the takeaways from ASP is that you have high-level professionals who are willing to be able to want to sit down with you. Even in my place, you know, I felt bad about not being in Fort Worth, but I was looking forward to just spending quality time, you know, not just socially, but sitting down with friends and colleagues and students, and I miss that. And and there is a follow-up to that. You can cut and splice whatever you think, but... It goes back to the other question you just asked about indirectly what I miss. I miss relationships, but also it can feed forward. And I've had experiences here that, you know, coaches and athletes. I had a coach, you know, who was from Philadelphia. and Oh, you know, we're two games away. It's not finished yet. But, you know, we can rag on each other. And, you know, and, and there was like a situation a couple weeks ago. My wife's a principal at a special needs school uh, in Encino, which is, uh, that's irrelevant, but they're having their festival. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was helping out just grilling hamburgers for the kids and their their festival. And and, uh, I see this tall lady and she comes up to me and she's taking pictures. And she goes, you, is that you? I was like, Katie, what are you doing? And she was a middle blocker on you know, our national champion volleyball teams. And, you know, a friend of hers who just taking a job at the school and she was taking pictures for her. And I thought, 
what a small world. And there's other situations like that. You know, old golfer who, you know, I worked with, I hadn't seen and talked with in a long time. All of a sudden he saw something on LinkedIn and he contacts me and, you know, you, you know, I've got two kids, but I'm still, you know, competing in amateur tournaments. And, you know, he's, he's a businessman and for three times we get together and you know here's some euclidean things you know, breathe and you know, stay <laughs> centered let go quickly get to the next shot you know and you also have to practice a little bit because you just can't get out there and play and you know it was just it made me feel so good and there are other athletes that i still kind of stay in contact so it, it's a long-winded response but kind of like build relationships because it's the most important thing it's not the credentials or all the things that, you know, look good on paper. Those are important. And being passionate about what you do. But somehow it all comes back to relationships. And uh, my little granddaughter, she had like this little Penn State outfit in. You know, we still are Penn Staters. And she looks so, I'm biased, so gorgeous and <laughs> cute. You know, the nitty line. So I take this picture and I sent it to our field hockey coach. Yeah, I said, look at my little granddaughter, you know, <laughs> go, you guys are playing the Big Ten tournament. And she just thought she needs a stick. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's stories like that, that whether it's the camaraderie that you have in your groups, you guys are close and, you know, just keep building on that. Take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. I think that's a good message. And listen, that's what I said to you, Kay. Listen and listen and go slow and continue to listen more and be inquisitive. Oh, well, thank you again, Yuke. We've really appreciated our time. We appreciate you sharing your story and all of your experiences throughout. Um, I love that you said you want to be known as someone who's caring, authentic, and genuine because all of my interactions with you from when I was a, a master student, a PhD student, and an early career professional have definitely ebbed that caring, authentic, and genuine nature. So I appreciate everything that you've done for the field, and I appreciate your time on this as well. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for having me too. I enjoyed this. I hope I gave you a couple nuggets there. <laughs> <laughs> It was a sincere, it was wonderful, a sincere pleasure and, and privilege. So, and uh, just like we always like to say, we've asked, you answered, and we'll see you all next time on our next episode. Thanks for listening.